0: I want to look at some verses from the Song of Zacharias that we read earlier in Luke chapter 1, in particular verses 76 to 79. I'll read those verses to you again. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. (coughs) To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. This is a song of delight from Zacharias. His dumbness has now been finished. God has... Ended his dumbness and he utters this song of praise and thanksgiving because he, as the others in Luke 1 and 2, become aware that God has uh, visiting or is visiting his people through sending Messiah. And he's aware of the immense privilege that his own son, his and Elizabeth's son, John, uh, which they're having in their old age, is to be the herald of the Messiah. I want to start firstly by noticing what Zacharias says about his son, John. Now, if you read the song, which begins at verse 68 and goes through to verse 79, uh, those of you from a Church of England background will know this is the Benedictus from the Latin uh, word for blessed, which is the first word of the song. If you read this song... You realize that most of it is not about his own son. Most of it is not about his own little boy. But it is about the forerunner. It is about Christ, who his son is going to predict. It's about Jesus, the Messiah. And how appropriate that is that the focus is on the Messiah, on Christ himself. Nevertheless, there is that which is about his son. Uh, So, for example, in verse 76, he here addresses uh, his son in this rhetorical language. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. Even his name, John, is not mentioned. Now, of course, uh, when you read earlier in the chapter, you realize that the name is significant. uh, But it isn't mentioned here because it's not the name of the forerunner of Christ that's significant against such a startling gift of God as the forerunner, uh, as Christ himself. So the way in which John kind of hides, even within this song, reminds us very forcibly about his role, about his task. He is to be, as as Zechariah says, he is to be the prophet of the highest. What a a tremendous privilege that is. Um, Particularly as it's centuries since the last prophet spoke in the name of the Lord. Centuries since Malachi. Several hundred years since Malachi and the previous prophets. But now he is the prophet of the highest. And it's more of a, a privilege because he is going to be a prophet in days of great darkness, great spiritual darkness, verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. It's been a long night. Uh, it's been a nightmare experience. But now suddenly the light is shining. And the greatness of uh, the, prophet, the prophet is also reflecting back on the greatness of, of the one of whom he prophesies. Not long ago, I was uh, in a, 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 traveling in a car and I saw a police motorcycle go past. Then another, and then another, three, one after the other, and I realized that something important is coming. And it was, a—I think from memory, it was a, a dark colored car with a blue light flashing and you couldn't see in the windows. Now, it may have been that the importance was some some criminal there, or it may have been someone important who they were not uh, showing through the windows of the car. But the point is, all these outriders reflected the importance of the person, for good or for bad. And so it is that that the greatness of this prophet, John, the wonderful role that's assigned to him, and the remarkable things that we find out about him in the scriptures as... This prophet in the desert uh, calling thousands to repentance. And God's blessing mightily upon his ministry. This just reflects back on the one whom he is heralding. And yet, as we've seen, he doesn't draw attention to himself. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, saying, make straight the way of the Lord. Uh, The Old Testament, in fact, ends Right at the end, it ends with a prediction of John the Baptist. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Elijah the prophet. John the Baptist, in the spirit and power of Elijah, And Malachi, the last word in the English version, is curse because the law uh, which came by Moses in and of itself brings curse because none of us can keep that law of God perfectly. And yet, uh, within that same prediction, there is this prophecy of the forerunner of the Messiah himself, the great and dreadful, the great and awesome day of the Lord, the coming of God himself in Christ. So, although the focus is more on the Messiah, there's much here to be said about John himself. And for both Zacharias, his father, and for John, what matters, as i said, is their testimony to Christ, their pointing to Christ. And what an example this is to us, Uh, what a reminder to us that we cannot but... uh, do the same. We cannot do any better than uh, John. We cannot have greater aspirations than John. He says in his ministry, he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. There's no sense here of I'm a celebrity preacher. No sense here of look at me but rather he says I'm not worthy to even undo his sandals. It's the one coming after me I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. And we have these words of commendation uh, concerning John from the lips of Jesus himself. In John chapter 5, he says, He was a burning and a shining light, and we were willing for a season to rejoice in His light. A burning and a shining light, because He's illuminating others. But it's not just illumination. It's burning. What a, an example that is to us. You know, We can, we can be like lead lights, can't we? Problem, that's a problem. We can have yes, we can have truth, we can show truth, but it's cold. It doesn't heat. It's just a, a, a washed-out kind of light. God forbid we should just be like that. Or we can just be all heat. But no light, full of enthusiasm, but no clear message as to what we're about. But burning and shining, heat and light, the heat of God's love in our hearts and the light of the glorious gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the glorious combination that we find in John. Thou child shall be the prophet, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. We need ministries and churches like that, not set on Exalting themselves, not set on putting themselves in some kind of pedestal and everybody coming to their conferences and all this kind of thing. But we need to forget ourselves. And we need to point to Christ. And you know, that's just what the Holy Spirit does, isn't it? In John 16, we're told that he will not speak of himself, but he will, he will speak of another He will show you things to come and he will glorify me says Jesus. When we are pointing away from ourselves to Christ we're very much in harmony with the Holy Spirit. We're very much in harmony with what his intention is and he therefore surely will bless it. So we've seen what Zacharias says about John. Secondly let's Just look briefly within these verses at what he says about Christ. Well, firstly, we notice he has the highest view possible of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no higher view because he says that John shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Not just that he will be a servant, but that he will actually go in front of the Lord to prepare his ways. In other words, he's using of Christ the, a word which means he is very God. He is almighty God. Remember how jealous God is for his name and honor in the Bible. He speaks uh, in this way in Isaiah 45 and in verses 21 and following. There is no God else beside me A just God and a saviour, there is none beside me. Notice that exclusive jealous claim. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, the people around him understood exactly what he was saying. They understood the significance of it. That it was... In fact, him identifying with deity. And that's why they took up stones, to stone him. And when Zacharias says he's going before the face of the Lord, he's making the highest possible claim of Christ. He is God. He is Almighty God. And unless you believe that, you cannot be saved. Unless you bow to that truth and embrace that truth. And that really is the purpose of... Of the Gospels and the purpose of the Scriptures. John's Gospel concludes with that great climax of doubting Thomas bowing before the Lord and saying, My Lord and my God. And John then goes on to comment that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing have life through his name. We worship our Savior, he is the Lord, he is God Almighty. One with the Father and one with the Spirit. World without end. But secondly, what Zechariah says about the Christ is he says he is the Savior. So in verse 77, Thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. And John focused on this in his ministry with his baptism unto repentance, uh, calling people to repent, calling people to confess their sins, calling people to correct their feeling and their understanding about sins, to have a, a humble view of themselves, to realize that their sins were sins of the heart as well as the lifestyle. And he wasn't calling people to him, to save them. But he was saying to, of Jesus, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb of God, not me. Now that surely, again, is a tremendous, uh, a tremendous example to us as to what we should say about the Lord Jesus. We are not just to say he is God, but we are to say he is the Saviour. We're not just to talk about living a good life. There's nothing here about living a good life as such. It's about the remission of sins. That's what goes before living a good life. Because what we need is not merits, but we need remission. What we need is not our own good works to offer up to God. What we need is the application of this precious truth concerning the Christ that he gives salvation, he gives remission of our sins. That's what you need, that's what I need. He is the saviour. Have you embraced him as your saviour? And then thirdly, notice he says of the Christ that he is the light of the world, or that's what it amounts to. He is the light of the world. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of truth, a way of peace. Now, there is some discussion about that uh, word uh, light, uh, because apparently it could um, uh, sorry, not the word light, but the word dayspring in verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the dayspring from on high hath visited us, that word could possibly means shoot as we find it in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1 there is a a kind of um, similar thought there Uh, in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 uh, this was a point picked up in our last hymn Uh, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a a branch shall grow out of his roots and then follows the most lovely messianic uh, prophecy concerning Christ the spirit of the Lord resting upon him the sevenfold spirit and there's, a, there's a, something there very similar to Psalm 72 and that word <clears throat> a rod or a shoot has the thought of something arising something coming and it's, in that sense it's similar to the idea of a day spring A rising star, a rising sun. Uh, It's almost certainly uh, dayspring is the best translation because it correlates with verse 79 to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Um, This is a, a glorious thought concerning the Messiah, concerning Christ, that he is a rising star. He's a He's the son who rises. Malachi chapter 4, that last passage in the Old Testament. Unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves from the stall. And it ties in with so many prophecies concerning the Messiah. You think of Isaiah in chapter 9. Uh, that very well-known section of Isaiah's prophecy which ends up unto us a child is born unto us a son is given but earlier on it says the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined and so John is someone who points to Christ as the light and Zechariah speaks of Christ as the day spring, the light, the arising star, the arising sun from on high who has visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness. See, the tragedy of sin is such that it makes people think they see when they don't see, when they're blind. And we see the consequences of that all the time in individual lives and in society. What is the problem with our leaders and the problem with the kind of morals, public morals and public mores? What's the problem? Well, they think they're so, so illuminated to pass the laws to do with sexual conduct and gender and so on that we've seen in recent years. They, see, they think they're so illuminated, but they're blind. They sit in darkness What is their need? Their need is for the day spring from on high to visit them. Their need is for light to shine into the darkness of their hearts. And that's the need of every individual, of every single person in this world. How is it that we can live in God's world, breathe his fresh air, walk on his earth, eat his food, and yet have no thoughts of him? It's because we're blind. By nature, we're blind. How is it that Men and women, boys and girls can drift on day after day, living like animals as though they had no soul. Well, it's blindness. It's spiritual blindness. How is it that somebody can just long to take away their life, long to go and end their life in their own way? Apart from being self murder, it's spiritual blindness. And the picture here is of a group of people sitting together in darkness. They're travellers, perhaps. They're sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. At last they are aware that they're completely lost. And they're having to sit down because they can't see the way. And there they are at the mercy of all the evil things that are around them. They're at the mercy of wild animals. They're at the mercy of ruthless robbers, Satan. And of course they're full of fear. Because the shadow of death is over them. It's a picture of man in his lostness. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's what Jesus has come to do to you and to me. To give us and to guide us. Now, why does God do that for us in our sin and in our guilt? Why does he do it? Well, here's the reason. Through the tender mercy of our God, through the bowels of mercy. The Hebrew mind, poetically perhaps, was that the emotions were rooted in the intestines. And so uh, we know it is, of course, that if you are emotionally very upset, you lose your appetites. And the thought of bowels and mercies, the thought of uh, the whole body being moved and disturbed with compassion. Tremendous picture to apply to Almighty God, isn't it? Who is is without body, parts and passions uh, from one aspect of his glorious essence and being and yet in his condescension, He enables us to understand this about him. We can't really put it together, can we? How the immortal God who dwells in bliss, unapproachable, who knows no suffering, who's always eternally happy, and yet he can have tender mercies, he can have bowels of compassion. We see it, of course, in Christ. As we go through the Gospels, and we see uh, his compassion and his weeping. And then that comes into our lives. And what does it do to us when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the light actually makes us children of light. That's what it says in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter five. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Advent, Christmas time, above all things, it's about God's love. Towards a dark world of undeserving sinners. of Each of us here are representatives of that race. Undeserving sinners. And yet God's love, God's tender mercy. What a message we have, brothers and sisters. What a God we have. What a saviour. And what a privilege for Zacharias. And the privilege for his son, John the Baptist. So we see what he says here about John we see what he says here about the Christ and we finish finally very briefly in what we need to say about ourselves in the light of this and the first is first thing is this if these tender mercies have come to you if he's your savior if Jesus is the light in your life what a privilege is yours what a blessing not earned Utterly undeserved. It's part of that mercy which is in the holy covenant of God. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this if these mercies have not yet come to you, what a need there is for you to call on God. What a need there is for you to cry to Him for the remission of your sins and for light, His light of life in your heart. What a need there is that you should be changed and become like the Baptist, not all taken up with yourself, but full of love and full of concern for others and giving glory to God's.